What's up, Slapjacks? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Toronto, Ontario, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bask. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very, very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. We're back, and we're out for retribution. We're back, <laughs> and better than ever. I think we, so, yeah, We are dude. out for retribution, man. What we're is out. up? What's up, T-Bar? Nothing much. What's your name? J? Would it be J-Bar, or would it be like J-Rock? No, J-Rock is from uh, Trailer Park Boys. What would you be? J-Money? That's that's like if I J Money would be if I Retribution and Too Cool somehow had like a ruthless <laughs> ruthless aggression era uh, faction. You'd be J Money. <laughs> yeah, I'd be J yeah. Money. Okay. You would be. Would you be a Slapjack? I think I'd be Mace. I was trying to think of the singular. Yeah, I couldn't think of the. For some reason, I was gonna say Vance. Uh, yeah, Mace. I forgot that it was a uh, that Mace, was the other Slapjack. T Bar. Uh, T Bar. Retribution. Uh, there's also someone called uh, Retaliation. Is there? Yeah. You could just start saying names, and I I'm, guess I would I'm, have to accept I'm it. I'm pretty sure Mercedes uh, Martinez's name is Retaliation. <laughs> I'm like not kidding. Uh, it's weird. But, it's been uh, a it, it's been a month uh, since we have released an episode. Our apologies for the we silence. Have been dealing with some some tech, chronic tech issues, tech issues uh, but they're always a little bit different. It's not the same tech issues. Last time we were halfway through the episode and then, yeah, we got not even a robot voice, but a new voice, which I call shower voice. Cause it sounds like someone like John's in the shower when he's recording. It would uh, be the ultimate test to see who would actually sit through and listen to that unlistenable chunk of the episode, which is, I gotta say, I don't think we'd have a pretty big drop off. I think if you're already <laughs> listening to this niche shit, you'd be like, whatever. I'll that's, just... Uh, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. This already yeah. sounds better than it has any right to. So, <laughs> I, th- I think we're doing good. Um, yeah, what's what's been new with you in the last week, J-Bones? I mean, it's been, it's been nice having the little break. It's kind of like... I wish that we ended on an even number because it's almost like that was season one of the Torture Act podcast and now we're in season two. You're obsessed uh, with separating things into seasons, which... <laughs> Listeners wouldn't know because it was on our on another lost episode uh, where we talked about AEW entering oh. season two with like the debut of Miro and stuff like that. But yeah, the break's been nice. I mean, the listeners can't see this, but I'm surrounded by a bunch of woodcuts. I'm doing an artist residency yeah, in October. Yeah, that so is fucking tight. Yeah, my studio is filled with wood, wood gigantic wood sculptures right now. Uh, so it was nice having sort of the break from this to just totally focus on that over the last like three weeks. Also, it was very nice to have the time to just watch wrestling because we started to watch the G1, which took up uh, a pretty good chunk, Big of, chunk of time of our lives. And we're going to be talking about the first four nights of it later on in the episode. So yeah. How, how have you been doing, man? You settled in in Toronto now? I'm, I am, I'm settled in my, my place is coming together uh, I'm, I'm surrounded with, with love. Uh, job is going good. I'm, I'm allowed to just <laughs> record this episode in the middle of a Monday afternoon. So obviously I'm, I'm very blessed with my work situation. Yeah, things are great. My head's been a little rocky, but uh, we're going to do this. Hell yeah, dude. Got to hit up some of that yoga with Adrian I linked to you. Been loving the G1. Uh, we have so much to talk about today. Yeah, we watched Four Nights of the G1, Clash of Champions, 
two weeks of AEW, and then I watch some other random stuff in between here and there, but I don't think we'll have that much time to talk about uh, any bonus content this week. No, I don't think there'll, I don't think there'll be too much bonus. Uh, we will be take going back in time once again, though, for the uh, classic match review that I did oh last week. Yes. Um, so there will be a little bit of time travel in this episode, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save. That's got to become a, a part of every episode. I, you, I got so much joy out of this, the surprise Wayne's world uh, flashback sound. That episode aired, right? That was two episodes ago. That actually, yeah, that, that was, I think that might've been the last episode that aired actually. Yeah, absolutely. Mark and John's excellent adventure. You know, I think it's, it's, it's a pretty Herculean task to put out a weekly podcast and we, we did it without even that much prep. We just kind of like, ran headfirst into it so uh, it if you are a fan of the podcast show your support leave a review on uh apple spotify wherever you listen to this thing to uh tell your friends and uh we're, we're we're happy to be with you again yeah and thanks for sticking with us and coming back for those through, of you that are through thick and thin through thick exactly. and thin if you'd like to send us an email you could email us at hello at torturact.com questions yeah. insights disagreements agreements Whatever, I, whatever I think you want to say. We're going to start getting mail from Thomas, who's pr- pretend <laughs> to be another it's listener. So basically, like our G chat, like yeah. just becomes emails instead of a G chat. Pretty much. Also, we're going to try to, because John has these amazing notes that he takes every week that we do almost nothing with other than just. Just exist know, in Google Docs record and use the them podcast. Reference. So I think we're going to start posting our. Uh, the match notes, the weekly match notes, as as well as our grades. We both grade it, and then we have a, an aggregate of our grades uh, that we have for every match that we watch together, which is, like, a lot. Like, probably 40 matches a week at least, right? Yeah, it would be fun one for one episode if there's, like, a week where we don't have... It will not happen within the next month because of the G1, but if we go through... Uh, Mark has a doc called the A-Archive, and yeah. it's all of the matches that we both... Is it... Each of us has to rate it an A or an A+. Plus. And then it goes in there. It has to have at least there has to be at least a minus a between us. So one of us for would have had the to consensus. Have... Every both of us has to rate it at a minimum an a minus. Yeah. for it to make it to the A archive. Actually, a minus doesn't make it. One of us has to rate it a minus, and one of us has to rate it an A. I thought so. Yeah. So that's um. If we put we want to go through that. If we put that into Meltzer scores, basically, uh, a minus is is a four star, and a is four and a half so it has to have at least four and a quarter stars out of five to make it into the air archive that seems reasonable it's very reasonable and there were quite a few matches uh from this week that have have made it into the air archive why don't we just start off with uh the most recent thing that we watched which was wwe class of champions 2020 hey. AKA a shot for shot remake of Payback and SummerSlam. Yeah, it was basically a greatest hits of 2020 of, of Payback and SummerSlam. And I got to say though, a lot of the times I'm complaining about the matches that I'm seeing, but I'm not complaining about seeing like Bobby Lashley versus Apollo Crews. Cause yeah, both of those. Honestly, awesome. no, no complaints about that. I, I don't know. It's weird. Like it did as the night went on kind of uh, take away from my enjoyment of it a little bit, just knowing like, so th- there was a month between Payback and this pay-per-view, right? That sounds right. So then they spent a month to get back to where they started a month ago? <laughs> I will say, in, in their defense, and I don't know why I'm defending them, 
uh, because it's their fault, but there has been some COVID outbreak. Uh, so mm, that was, might have caused like rewrites or oh, like. Well, I'm yeah. straight straight. Up, oh right, well Nikki Cross and Asuka was going to happen, right? Straight up, there were or, two matches that got taken off Bailey? the card. Yep, and then also uh, Nia Jax, Nia Jax. and uh, Shayna Baszler versus the Riot Squad for the tag team titles, women's tag team but, titles. That being said, opening match, Intercontinental Championship ladder match, Sami Zayn versus AJ Styles versus Jeff Hardy. What do you think? A, there's a special feeling in a, a, a wrestling fan's heart that happens when a show starts out with a ladder match. It's like oh my God. the best. Yeah. It's a tried and true. Like They do it a lot at WrestleMania. They have multi-man ladder matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but Intercontinental ladder match starting the show, that's, like a, that's a real classic WWE move. And... You look at it, Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy. You know, Jeff Hardy's not my favorite wrestler at the moment, but, you know, he's obviously a titan of of ladder matches and just a a ridiculous spot monkey. So seeing him against, like, two of our favorites, Sami Zayn and AJ Styles, super cool. Um, Yeah, this was an an awesome match. Like, there was definitely a couple of moments where I was like, Jesus, Jeff, like, you don't don't have to do this anymore. But... uh, yeah. Some someone should let the Hardys know that we're happy to see them, you know, just wrestle in a nice match where they do a swanton bomb off of the ropes and yeah. not off of a twenty five foot ladder. Twenty five I mean, foot ladder cool. onto another ladder. <laughs> that looked so yeah. ridiculous. Dude, that transition too, like I don't know in wrestling history when they, they started to do that. Like the they realized they could go through a ladder. I wonder what in my mind that would hurt way more than the table. A table basically seems to like kind of cushion just your like, lessen the impact a little bit before you get to the ground. Whereas a ladder right. just feels like an awful. It's thing. metal. Yeah, it's like elite, like wood. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it, the ladder would hurt way more. Well, it's thicker too. Yeah, it looked absolutely brutal. Uh, I always wonder how the person, like how Sami Zayn, feels like getting hit by that, like off of like a ten feet swanton bomb going through. The there ladder. was some some crazy spots in this yeah there was one moment where jeff like he was like basically like spider crawling on the ladder as Sami Zayn tried to like or aj styles tried to push it over and then eventually he did push it over Sami Zayn goes over the ropes and then the ladder went with him and like basically smacked yeah. him on the way down a which... lot of like chaotic movement from the ladder like there was another spot where i think aj went for a phenomenal forearm and then they one of the, either Hardy or Sami Zayn throws a ladder at his face. It's like AJ. Well, AJ also threw a ladder into the ring like a javelin. Right. I thought that happened in this match yeah. too. Yeah. He threw. He was like by the entrance way, and he throws it into the ring. Right. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. There there were some crazy moments. Uh, AJ standing moonsault to reverse DDT. Like, yeah. It was a. It was. It was a pretty wild match. Uh, I'm really glad that Jeff's ear didn't get like ripped open though. He did get handcuffed. I said that Sami Zayn <laughs> went full Yano at the end of the match. Yeah. He just started like <laughs> brought out the handcuffs instead of the tape and uh, handcuffed like earring hole or his like well, I don't know what you call that, but gauge. Yeah, and just like in onto a ladder. So that was brutal. Um, yeah, that definitely. I mean, he it obviously doesn't hurt him based off of like what Randy Orton did with that screwdriver at Hell in a Cell, I want to say last year, yeah. where he's like twisting it over and over again. Yeah. I've never had those piercings, but I imagine it's, I don't know. It's makes me very squeamish and not a lot of stuff that we watch really makes me squeamish. It's but... funny. I imagine it, 
hurts the least out of like anything like that because like this tissue is so like just like dead right yeah it's just like floppy and stuff so i bet it doesn't actually hurt but it looks gruesome but uh yeah them continuing to use jeff hardy's ear as like a body horror in these (laughs) matches is like pretty cool um and yeah, Sammy, Sammy either retained or regained the title, depending on your perspective, uh, after he didn't drop it after going out for COVID. Um, yeah, I love that he won here. This it's like it's in my mind. This match is almost like if you could book a WWE match. I think the only change that in my mind you would probably make is you would switch in Alistair Black for Jeff Hardy. Which... I I would switch in Ricochet. Oh, for Jeff Hardy. Now I want like a North, a rehash of the North American ladder match from 2018, but with Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, Ricochet, Alistair Black. Who's the hoss in this? Big yeah. E? At this moment, like, I know there's still wrestlers who are being like underused, like Ricochet would be one of them, but it is really great to see like this card and like see Sami Zayn, Asuka, Lena Vega, Paula Cruz, Bobby Lashley, Andrade. Angel Garza. It's an excellent card. Yeah. They're, just, they're using a lot of the people who have been underused for a while. And it's like really, really nice to see. And I know part in the women's division is because there's no Ronda Rousey. There's no Becky Lynch and there's no Charlotte at the moment. So that leaves a big vacuum. But because of that, like Sasha and Bailey have been able to tell this story over many months. Asuka has been able to be a dominant champion. Like it's, it's almost like when Austin like hurt his neck uh, in like 98 and had to be out for a little bit, like between like I think ninety nine and two thousand. So like the, that basically allowed The Rock to become like a, a megastar. Oh right, yeah. Because like Austin was always the biggest thing, uh, but that 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 allowed Rocky just to like kind of have that moment, and also Triple H to an, to another extent, like Mankind and stuff. But um, it's 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 interesting to see like who the women's division is uh, is is pushing at the moment. Well, doesn't that usually happen? I feel like. We've definitely talked about this before, but I think a lot of the time when WWE is forced into a, a situation, yes, their booking is at its best. Like Brock is in Canada, he doesn't care. Like he's who Dude. knows what he's doing. He's not coming to I the was states. Just thinking so about that. Uh, it's, there's all this room for other people well, now. Remember Saudi Arabia when all the superstars were stuck there, and then they did the NXT Invasion show, and that right. was like the best sort of. I think was, it was that Dan- Daniel Bryan versus Adam Cole happened on that. Uh, yes. And then previously is that, and the, maybe the entire inception of this, at least our friendship was TLC 2017, where Kurt Angle was an honorary member of the shield. And <laughs> we got AJ Styles versus, uh, Finn Man, instead of I Finn was ab- versus sister ab- Abigail. About to say AJ Styles versus Finn was like the match that the dream match that happened out of nowhere. Yeah, and they had AJ fly across the country. And then the week after that, AJ won the championship from Jinder in uh, London. Yes, and then It was he, like a really good string of... And then of... he fought Brock instead of... It was supposed to be Jinder versus Brock at Clash of Champions or Survivor Series, whatever it was. And then we got yeah. AJ versus Brock instead, which was like... An incredible one of, match. One of the best... Seemed like AJ was going to win it. Yeah. yeah, same with the Daniel Bryan versus Brock. Like, when, when Brock wants to put someone over, like, he's one of the best, like, sellers in the business. And... Yeah, it's it's amazing. Oh, dude! By the way, I I watched the uh, Kurt Angle Broken Skull session right after. Oh yeah, this pay per view. Did you see any of it? I watched it the first couple of minutes of it, but then me and Shavon put out a movie, but yeah. I don't remember what movie. No yeah. worries. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was there was some some cool stuff to hear. 
for sure. Especially him talking about matches, like doing commentary on matches, basically. The Shane McMahon match where like the glass wasn't breaking at like King of the Ring. And also like Brock Lesnar doing the shooting star press. Um, oh, that'd be yeah. That's probably really interesting stuff. to hear. Then yeah, I've, I've listened to. I eventually will watch that. I've been watching all of those as they've come. Not not really immediately as they've come out, but you know, whenever I ha- am out of wrestling to watch, uh, I'll throw one of those on. Dude, um, the second match of this night, I'm so happy to see Zelina Vega getting ring time. Like, absolutely, she's so good. This, that match was sick. That was the, maybe one of my favorite matches of the entire night, actually. I actually think they did an amazing job with Linda Vega, like, letting her kind of... She wasn't just a valet. It's like she created a stable. It's almost like the Robert Stone brand. It was like the Zelina Vega brand, which was like <laughs> um, Andrade, Angel Garza. Angel Garza, yeah. Uh, I feel like there was one other person. Did, like, Humberto... Humberto Carrillo. I'm not sure if it... Was, was it? Of it? Was he? I think he might have been. That's or was what... he feuding with them? Did I know he... that there was a match with the three of them at some point over the last couple of months. Zelina, yeah, like letting her run that stable and then kind of develop a character on TV. And, and, and now we get to see her in ring. Like, I feel like they haven't fucked up her and Andrade at all. Like, they've both had a lot of screen time and they've been able to, like, look really good. And it's been a slow build for Zelina in terms of what she's... Look, we've seen her on screen with Andre Andrade and then you know she like you said has this faction but now she's getting to wrestle because there's space for it and she's really good uh, I wasn't expecting to see so much like technical map based stuff from her she reminded me like of like a little mini Zack Sabre Jr. at a couple moments in this match oh yeah yeah there was a few times where she wrenched a pretty sick submission there was a great back and forth between both of them yeah uh, where it was they, kind where of something they... that Asuka like we haven't quite seen that match like against true Asuka. yeah i guess because she wrestles a lot of like wwe wrestlers yeah so there where i feel like there's not uh like wwe style wrestlers where it's not someone coming in with this like you know aura of uh submissions mma cage fighting those kinds of things totally you you could see Asuka like get caught off guard in a couple moments like by these like swift kicks like right after like these kind of like mat based submission moves and stuff and yeah, I don't think I ever thought that Zelina was going to win, but she definitely like put up a much better fight than like I think anyone could have really expected. It uh, felt competitive, and I think oftentimes when you feel the way you just felt, when viewers feel the way you felt when watching WWE, you kind of tune out and are like, I know Oscar's yes. going to win this. Why am I even watching this? But they, yes. they made you want to watch that match regardless of knowing the outcome yeah. in like an Okada-esque way where it's like, well, I know he's going to beat Yujiro, but, you know, this match is still going to be good. I Honestly, like, third WWE pay-per-view in a row where there's really not a bad match on the card. Bailey versus Asuka wasn't really a match, and that would be the worst thing on it. It was just kind of like them moving pieces because they didn't have Nikki Cross on the card. Um, yeah. The next four... So the next... This middle chunk of the card, Apollo Crews versus Bobby Lashley... Up till Randy versus Drew McIntyre, it's all rematches from Payback and SummerSlam. Yes. So Apollo Crews versus Bobby Lashley, that was... Which, this match was sick. Yeah. The two two of them have such good chemistry together. And it's cool to see Apollo Crews finally getting used again. Uh, it I feel like... Remember, was he in NXT at some point? I don't know if he was on NXT. I feel like maybe he was on main event. 
Like yeah, well, I was gonna say there. I remember a while ago, like year, a couple years ago, seeing a very sick match with Apollo Cruz. It was a singles match, and I don't remember where it was. It was on one of WWE's shows, and thinking like, oh, this guy is gonna be the next like world champion. He's doing like flips. He's got very the good. fast. Yeah, he's got, he's, he's got move set. It, it's and just he's like, not like, a bad promo. Like his promo wasn't incredible, uh, but he's not a bad promo at all. Um, no. But he's the kind of guy that you could put in a faction or you could put with someone like maybe not Paul Heyman because they, they, they don't exactly have the same personality type. But you could put with like a good talker and like would be very convincing. Like honestly, like that's what Kurt Angle should be doing. He should just be managing like just some like incredible wrestler and just being maybe not their mouthpiece, but their representative at the very least. Yeah, WWE should totally steal that uh, sort of archetype AEW has set up where they have all these legends that are using their, you know, promo abilities and star power to elevate people that maybe know the general wrestling fans are not as familiar with. So it's like, why is, who is this guy, Lance Archer? He looks cool and is crazy. Oh, this is Jake the Snake who's talking on his behalf. It's such yeah. a good, it's a good way of using probably a lot of legends who aren't really being used at all or maybe just sitting at home and also like respecting the history of wrestling uh this match dude we're finally seeing like bobby lashley like why the wwe sought him out like man before the power that he throws down in this match that like right at the end he throws down the spine buster where it's like he's it's like a mortal combat like he sucked the life out of apollo cruz totally it was basically a choke smashed it back in it was a choke slam like yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, he he looks awesome in the ring. I don't know what they were fucking up with him. Maybe they were. I mean, obviously they were putting him in those dumb storylines with like with Rusev and Lana and stuff like that. But well, and even before that, he they were having him point to his like glutes and having uh, Leo Rush talk about how great he was. And I think which... also just not putting him up against people that are at his caliber. I think like I think Thomas sort of roasted me for this like uh, on our G chats one time, but just talking about like you know Seth Rollins not really having people where he gets to like have classic matches. Oh right, uh, yes. But I think there's something to that. Like if you let Lashley fight Apollo Cruz, like you're gonna get a good match. But if you have Lashley fight yeah. like Baron Corbin or something like that, like it's not necessarily. I love that Baron Corbin is our total whipping boy. Like he's always the person we point to for just like shitty matches or shitty heat. Yeah. But it's well earned. Yeah, the least the, Com- I would compelling I, character. I, I can't think of the person, yeah, that I yeah, that would be I'm I'm more I'm less interested in than Baron. Yeah. Cause like, you know, there we talk about it a lot, but just like uh I, I now call it Baron Corbin heat. People called it like X Pac heat, but it was like the wrong heat, basically, the go away heat, not the like like Jay White has heat. He has like fuck you heat. Yeah, you want to see Minoru Suzuki rip Jay White apart in the G one. And you want to like you want to be ringside and like yell in Jay White's face and be like fuck you Jay White. You know what I mean? Or MJ MJF as well. MJF, yeah. Ricky Shane Page. Yeah, yeah. Those are the three. That's like the trifecta. I would say of like monster heels. Totally. Ricky Shane Page, MJF, Switchblade Jay White. I can't think of anyone else uh, who like has that kind of aura. Like like true like. I hate this person, and I want to see the faces beat the shit out of this yeah. person. Yeah, like, I don't feel that way about Evil. I do feel that way about Dick Togo, but in, like, <laughs> the wrong way. I Dick think. Togo, there that is maybe one person that I like a little less than Baron Corbin. <laughs> I think Dick Togo should manage Baron Corbin. 
Oh my god, <laughs> dude, how terrible! Yeah, let's pick like that's like the worst like who could be the worst single star like package. Baron Corbin managed by Dick Togo, and yeah. Baron is the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. And he only that. he only fights Michael Michael Nakazawa. <laughs> oh God, yeah, booking like all of, everything that we dislike the most. Wow. Um. Yeah. So, like you said, the next couple of matches, Andrade and Angel Garza versus the Street Profits, uh, was a rematch from, uh, I think, Payback, if not SummerSlam. And another but excellent match. Uh, that I don't ended, really have uh, too much to say about it, but it ended with a botch because uh, Angel Garza. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, Angel Garza got hurt on the Spanish Fly. Oh, is that true? Yeah, the ref throws up the axe, and then so basically, I think Andrade was supposed to lay down for the for the three, but didn't know. Mm. They were they rushed to the ending, but like didn't tell Andrade or whatever. So that's why it counts three, even though like he kicks out or whatever. Right. Yeah. But yeah, excellent match. Bailey versus Asuka. That was just yeah a replacement for Nikki Cross. Wasn't really a match. Bailey like got disqualified pretty quickly. Um, I will say in kind of uh, critiquing their the fact that they have kind of booked the exact same show we just watched. It is cool that WWE is finally booking long term feuds that are having payoffs. Like there's longer stories. It's like obviously they're not going to please everybody and they're trying to do different things. Like I, I clearly, fe- it clearly feels like they have are trying to improve their product from like a wrestling standpoint. Yes. In my I, opinion, I think from when we've been second watching pay-per-view in a row, that's not, it's not a big pay-per-view. It's just kind of like a, yes, definitely two kind of place setting pay-per-views in a row, payback and clash of champions, not your essential pay-per-views. But having said that for two, you know, kind of thrown together pay-per-views. Uh, not a bad match between the two. And pretty much B-plus pay-per-views all, all the way around. So that is a major improvement from the last, like, I would say two, three years. Yeah, well, there was the one pay-per-view that happened in the summer. Whatever happened before SummerSlam had me going into SummerSlam feeling like, why are we even watching this anymore? And then we watched SummerSlam, and I was like, oh, this is why. It's great. And then we watched... Uh, Payback again felt the same way, and then this this was really really fun watch. I I will say over the last like three or four pay per views, I feel like they've had the they for me as a fan have been the most satisfying in terms of like the content that uh, is in them, and that it's mostly been focused on wrestling. Which I think they've also been a little bit shorter too, just like through the COVID age. Like they have yeah, like two and a half hours, which is like an Attitude Era standard pay per view, which is arguably like the perfect length for any wrestling show it is absolutely there's no filler it's just all sick matches which this match the kind of co-main event uh randall randy orton versus drew mcintyre randall randall chief did you see uh on squared circle someone posted a rundown of the similarities between kofi and drew over the last year from wrestlemania to clash your face makes me think you real you're realizing how similar it is. Kofi won at WrestleMania. Drew, Drew won at WrestleMania. Then Kofi goes on to challenge Dolph. Retains. Drew goes on to challenge Dolph. Retains. Oh my god. Then they both fight Randy. Win. And I think both had a rematch against Randy and win. The only thing difference is the fact that. 
Kofi unceremoniously lost to Brock. Get squashed. Yeah, in such a short amount of short amount of time. Very sad. And and Drew looked dominant in beating him in WrestleMania. So maybe this will come full circle and Brock will return at WrestleMania and beat Drew. My hope is that someone like Alistair Black takes it off Drew and they start really building out people who can you know be what's interesting the big star for all of WWE's bad booking they generally are pretty good at choosing a Royal Rumble winner as of late so i i think where like Alistair is kind of a long shot i think he could actually win it cuz Drew was a little bit of a long shot cuz Shinsuke Nakamura was a huge long shot like there's been a lot of it seems like they are actually making an effort to like to have people win to like push them. So I, I really think it very reasonably could happen where Alistair wins and challenges Drew McIntyre because Drew's a, a, a face. Alistair's a protected heel. Uh, although I think he just took a clean loss to Kevin Owens. But that's, you know, it's Kevin Owens. That's pretty cool. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's the worst person for him to lose to. No, although I think Kevin Owens has been one of the most inconsistently booked people. Like, has taken so many big losses and not a lot of like really dominant victories that solidifies him as like a huge star. Yeah, um, that's true. I actually think he's been pretty pretty botched by WWE uh, because he could have been what like one of the biggest faces. He could have been, could have been like a Stone Cold Steve Austin ish face, and they were doing a really good job when they were just letting him cut his own promos like in like FaceTime basically on his phone. Um, oh right, right, yeah. That was he was really compelling, but then they just you know. They, they, they make him do something else. They make him apologize to Shane McMahon and, like, ask to not be fined, like, $5,000 or whatever. Like, yeah. they, they I, I think they kind of botched him. But anyway, I really hope that happens too, man. I really, really do. Yeah, and that being said, this match, the rematch was justified. Randy versus Drew. And you I, know what? Uh, this it was, was great. a really fun match, even though Randy basically dominated the whole match despite being like hit by like the big show and Christian and uh, like Shawn Michaels basically still was like dominating drew. Even, even like with that, this was such a fun, like kind of like street fight backstage brawl. This is what Randy versus edge should have been, you know, not too long. And uh, basically the only reason I was really dreading this match is because I thought they were going to like take the belt off drew and put it on randy which is such an uninteresting choice basically to like make their matches that are already set bigger like they already had brock versus goldberg they didn't need to take the title off of kevin owens to make it for the universal title the same way that they're going to do edge versus randy orton it's going to be a huge match no matter what it doesn't have to be for the wwf championship because or wwe championship because honestly either scenario edge retaining or sorry uh, randy retaining i hate that and edge winning like i love edge but it's not interesting like you have to build new stars. Like that, you you can't just keep putting the belt on part timers. Like, hey Stone Cold, what do you think of the main event? Roman Reigns versus Jay Uso. Oh man, Roman man, he's my tribal chief man. <laughs> I think Paul Heyman spoke for all of us when, it, when he said he was our tribal chief. <laughs> oh man, he was he was. I don't want to say he was fucking rip man. He had those am. Steve, would you put Roman over? You know, right time, right place, you know. If he had the heat coming into it, I mean, yeah, I'd, of course, I'd consider it, you know. Do you feel Roman is on the level of your counterpart, 
The Rock. Hey man, look, I know, I know all you guys work. You're just you're trying to get a quote. You can put your piece. I get it, man. You're trying to get juice up the numbers, get the clicks. I get it, man. I'm hip too, man. I got podcast myself, but you know, you can't. I don't. You know, I don't want to. You can't put me in this position, man. All I can say is, Roman may be the Rock, but there ain't no one like the Rattlesnake. <laughs> Dude, absolutely sick main event. Steve, thanks for your insights on it. I really enjoyed it all the way up until the end when they started talking and slowly walking yeah. around. And The moment I knew I didn't like it was when I realized like they were like mic'd as if they had uh, – like they were holding microphones. Right. You know, I hate when that happens when suddenly you're in a soap opera and they're just like – he's like, stay down, Jay, and you can hear him perfectly. Like not like he was <laughs> like really crisp. Mic. Yeah. Really crisp. I was – I really – yeah, I started to dislike it. And I understand what they were going for, like this big emotional arc and then he continues to beat Jay who won't – who won't, you know, who won't say he's the tribal chief. Which that Man. verbiage is we- just like weird. Oh I don't know. My God. I mean, I get I, the whole what it's referencing, but like, someone it, put in a, had a tweet that was just like Moana Two is weird. <laughs> WWE presents Moana starting starring Roman Reigns. That's hilarious. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's really what I, it felt. Just like the verbiage was weird within the context of a wrestling ring. I don't know. It, yeah. it was totally something that Vince wrote like thirty minutes before the show. Yeah, happened. I think that's the problem. It's like that no human would say that to another that's human. That's it. That's as, it, man. It's like, yeah, dialogue written for a cartoon or a video game. Or I, don't I gotta know. say yeah. though, I gotta say, they're doing good. They're doing good with Roman though overall. Like, yeah. I like that he didn't feel the need to scream that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's he's dominant. He's cool and sure. He's just like, say it, man. Say it. Don't make me do this. Like I like that Roman. He's not too over the top. And, you know, I I was not watching WWE regularly sort of when he got the over push that made everyone dislike him. And we were watching it a little bit. We, we were watching weekly. We've seen, like we seen the tail end of it. Uh, and that's true. So I've never felt I've never had I just I'm saying that just to say that I've never really had a very strong opinion on Roman uh, positive or negative. And I think it, I've been really enjoyed seeing him wrestle over the last like his uh, run in with the Braun and Bray match, I thought was really a nice surprise and Agreed. a good spot. And then this match, really cool intensity. And another great example of like it being good that Brock is gone because it puts someone like Jay Uso in the main event. Dude, I was about to say the exact same thing. And I love that instead of having like Roman versus uh, Dolph Ziggler, like basically this is a transitional pay per view. You have someone who's going to take a loss. Roman's right. not dropping the title. Who does he fight? Rather than, again, Dolph Ziggler, someone who is just like, doesn't really need the push, doesn't look convincing. Put someone in there like Jey Uso, who you never thought could roll with Roman. Have Roman dominate for the first 20 minutes of the match. And then, holy shit, out of nowhere, here's Jey Uso, like, delivering this offense, this quick offense, going off the ropes, doing flips, like, catching Roman and, like, looking like a fucking beast while doing it. Yeah, both Uh, throwing strikes that are, like, Undertaker level. Dude, uh, oh my delivery. god. Dude, when you said that, I got chills. Because Roman's, I just love Roman's punches. And then when you were like, it's they're like Undertakers, I'm like, dude, they totally are. Like, they have that same, like... The way, yeah. Cut. 
Gold, gold dust kind of has that as well. He There's has a, a few... little bit more. It's a little bit. Yeah, gold dust is a little bit. Gold more dust like more a... like a sucker punch almost than uh, sort of like a diving strike. Yeah, but yeah, just that intensity. That give. I forget what they say on commentary. Like this, the sole greatest striker in the game, or something like that. That could definitely be applied to either Jay or yeah. Roman. They have that yeah. same sort of intensity. Totally. Uh, this was an amazing match. I, I do love the ending of like Roman being like he could have pinned Jay. Basically, he hit him with a spear. He could have pinned him, but instead he wanted him to essentially call, say uncle. Right. <laughs> That's what he should have said. That's pretty, almost literally exactly what it was. Say Uncle say, Jay. Say cousin. <laughs> but instead it was like, I'm the tribal chief. And so, of course, it cuts to Paul Heyman. He's just like, you are my tribal chief. <laughs> yeah, like that. You are my tribal chief. That was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. So bad that I like, it almost flipped around and I loved it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But in yeah, this, this moment, was, I like it. Yeah, this was sick, and this was not a, a rematch of the last. No, I'll say this was not a rematch. Uh, the the um, first match, the triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental Title, was not a rematch. And even though we had seen Drew versus Randy before, we didn't see this like street fight. That was just felt like an old again. It felt like an Attitude Era kind of match. They're going yeah. to the backstage. They were they were like fighting up the ramp and stuff. There was really stupid interference by like Big Show and Christian and stuff. But it was like good hearted. It was it was basically like almost felt like a cinematic match, but like a like an actually fun one. Um Agreed. I really enjoyed it. Overall, like this was a B plus pay per view. It it was really solid. Like I don't have a lot of bad things to say about it. I know that retribution sucks. I know that like weekly raw is the worst it's ever been. But apparently SmackDown is is pretty good. We don't mm. watch these programs. I watch every recap. I know what's happening at all times. Just in case you have a question so I can give <laughs> you the context. Like, there's been moments where I thought you were going to ask me the context of something and I was, like, ready to tell you. And I can Well, just... now that I know you have that information, I'll ask oh, about it. Yeah, yeah man, I, I didn't know, know that you watch on. all the, the uh, recaps. Oh, man. I, I love WrestleTalk. I love Cultaholic. So I watch pretty much all their Sick. stuff. Steve, do you mind... As we jump into AEW, if I go hard on the Bucks about something. Oh, you want to go hard on the Bucks? <laughs> let me open up a beer, man. Let's go hard on the Bucks, man. They, let me t- oh, man. Let me tell you, I've, I've been waiting for a while, man. He's too kind of getting on my fucking nerves, man. He's too been getting on my nerve, but no, I'll let you talk. Cause he, Steve, I didn't know you were going to have opinions on this. I Oh, man, are you kidding me, man? Ever since that shirt, man, uh, Christian AF. Like, I, I used to watch BT pretty regularly, but at a certain point, I don't know, these two became a couple of insufferable pricks, and I know they're working, but you got a heel Bucks versus a heel FTR. Who am I supposed to be cheering for? I mean, obviously FTR. They're my boys. They look like me. <laughs> Steve, you took it in a different direction. I just want to say, as much as I have, hate hearing about people's dreams, I absolutely hate fine storylines within wrestling Fine, so much. Where the Bucks were fined for super kicking whoever. Oh, fine. Alex Marvez. Where they get, yeah, like. Dude, I know. And I was just talking about Kevin Owens getting fined and then begging Shane McMahon. It like literally reduced all the heat he had. They're like, salaried employee. Like I know that maybe Kevin Owens isn't, but like the Bucks are salaried employees of AEW. They're not paying a fine to anybody. And 
I hated it. I hate it so much. And they tried so hard, both on being the elite and on dynamite to make it seem real. Like they like rolled up $5,000 or however much they were fined threw it at Tony as if they weren't just going to like, Oh, are the cameras off? Okay. Tony, can you give us that $5,000 back now? Like the, their commitment to trying to make it seem real may, may, actively makes me not care about whatever is yeah, happening with them right the now. It's the exact thing we were talking about earlier. It's the wrong heat. Yes. Yeah. It's They had good heat when they were just like, they were kind of cocky dicks. It's like, there has to be that tweener energy or it doesn't quite work. It's like, they come out, they're telling FTR, like, we've been carrying tag team wrestling on our backs for years and they're being pricks, but they're not wrong. Right. That was good. Yes. Agreed. Here it's like they're they're like okay we're gonna be bad guys now we're gonna super kick the ref we're gonna super kick this it's like no you've you're 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 doing heel wrong right now and it's just the I don't know yeah I, I just it their comedy and humor is not necessarily for me but at the same time like it is the thing like that's what they're trying to do they're trying to like make the the sort of like we received this fine and everyone's online going to post like. This isn't real. They're not really paying it. So how far can we push this to make it seem like we're really paying it? We're going to throw money around. And it isn't really the gauche act of throwing money around that I hate. It's just the unbelievability of it that I dislike. Like Abaddon is more believable to me as a character than the Bucks paying $5,000 each for super kicking someone that they were written in story to super kick. It doesn't make any sense. I, ha- I, I fucking hate it. I hate it so yeah. much. And yeah. I have loved that being said, I've loved dynamite over the last couple of weeks, that specific oh. storyline, like, please, I'm, I hope it, I'm glad it's done. I'm sure they're going to continue doing it. Cause it's what they do. Uh, you yeah. know, that, that specific segment led to FTR versus Jurassic express, which was very sick. Uh, Oh my God. Ju- that was an incredible match. I don't have my grades here, but I believe we graded that very, very I'm high. sure, yeah. Just the, the energy between Jungle Boy and both members of FTR and then Lucha's, Luchasaurus's power against FTR and how FTR manages someone of his size. Absolutely sick and so incredible. And I, I, I Yeah, I, I totally agree. To, to, uh, to the Bucks' credit, they have made me love the entire tag division more than them. Like, I, I can't think of a tag team that I like. Like that. Well, we talked about this uh, on one of the last episodes, but it was like how it was Cody and the Bucks were the entire All In poster, and then they weren't even on the All Out 2020 poster. Right. So they they built these Ross. They like basically built a company that like on their star power, and then allowed it to flourish so much beyond themselves. Them. Which is very admirable and incre- an incredible yes. move in terms of building an actual promotion perspective. So. Yeah, it's great yeah. that we get like FTR versus Butcher and Blade, FTR versus Jurassic Press, FTR versus Lucha Bros. Like the the this is like the highest caliber tag wrestling that's existed in our lifetime for sure. Oh, absolutely no doubt. I can't even think of a an equivalent. Yeah, like it would have happened probably before we were born. Like eighties wrestling, think... like and you know like. Uh, like rock and like Midnight Express, that the sort of Steiner Brothers, yes, sort of like off early, off our radar, early, early WCW, 90s. late yes, uh, NWA. Yeah, I think we should uh, try to get into a little bit of that. That would be just, good, just for yeah. just for fun. Make like a tag team super card of like stuff we've slept on, basically. Yeah, Steiner Brothers are a good. That's a good pull for sure. 
speaking of um, tag team matches, I don't want to talk about the entire two weeks ago Dynamite just because I know yeah. it's not fresh in my mind. No. But the the main event, Best Friends versus Proud and Powerful, uh, Street Fight, basically backlot brawl in, in 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 the parking lot. This was the first ever Dave Meltzer five star match on like a weekly television show since again like the eighties, like you said, um, and. Certainly, I, I think the best match on Dynamite ever. I'd agree with that. I think my fa- one of my maybe my favorite AEW match. I can't believe that because we're we've gone back two weeks to a the a Dynamite that happened September sixteenth, twenty twenty. That I can't believe it was two weeks ago. It's still so fresh in my mind. Like this, it's this, swore, this like Trent getting match. slammed onto the windshield is so like vivid in my mind that it feels like we just watched it last week almost it's funny because we made a joke while we were watching this match because you know this was i think maybe the same card that uh matt hardy apologized for all out and stuff and you know we were talking about how things were going a little too far and stuff and then they have this absolutely insane match where like uh someone is under the front hood of the car and someone else is doing sentons onto it and crushing them in the hood of the car. There were so many like just brutal spots. People getting crushed into like car windshields. Dude, there's and, a like... huge suplex on the top of the car. And then the windshields broke out like shattered. There's like glass power, everywhere. Pa- power bomb on car roofs. Like these guys, you can see the bruises. You can see like the cuts opening up on their backs. Uh, fucking orange Cassidy comes out of a, back of a trunk. <laughs> oh my God. Incre- so Superman incredible. Punches. Great pacing. This was the best. This was, um, yeah, the, I, I think along with, uh, I think there was a match where it was the Young Bucks and FTR versus Butcher and the Blade and the Lucha Bros. Yep, eight man. Eight man, ten tag. That's the only match I can think about on this from Dynamite this year that I enjoyed as much. But they're completely different matches. This is just like a model of what you want a, a backlot, you know, street fight to be. So yeah, in the match you referenced, that eight man, I think that's one for both of us personally. So many of our favorites are in that match, and one that both of us and uh, everyone everyone unanimously agrees that that was an incredible match. But this match, best friends versus proud and powerful backlot, like iconic match, probably the one of the most iconic matches in AEW so far. I think this is a really good idea of, or a really good example of how they build these B feuds that are not the main event feuds that you almost forget are happening. Like I, for, when this match started, I was like, Oh yeah, right. They beat up the, the car. Yeah. Like this has been like percolating this. for like a month or so. Yeah. yeah. It's been percolating for a month, but it's never been like the main of the show. And then suddenly it's the main of this show. And I'm like, Oh shit. I do care about this. I didn't realize I did, but they just like, they it paid it off so brilliantly. Dude, Trent getting like, slammed into the windshield and like just the blood on his back the violence, you know, the violence we we were talking about sort of uh, when we were talking about All Out, uh, the differences, like why was that so hard to watch? But then GCW, like death matches, something like Tournament of Survival, both of us are like, we're here firing up the burgers. Let's go. Let's watch this. But like this, I think it's because it's like the amount of violence and the amount of sort of punishment that the people are taking feels controlled. It's like if I we've it, agreed to powerbomb Trent's back on this car and not a lot can go wrong with this, except the fact that he's going to bleed a lot. 
I always bring it up, but it's it's what Thomas says. Like, <laughs> what would Thomas say? Uh, <laughs> the the spot should look good and not hurt too much. And when we looked at that spot with like Matt spearing Sammy Guevara off the thing, it was like the chance for this to go wrong is like very high. Yeah, more uh, chances for it to go wrong than right. And if it does go right, you have a guy like spearing another guy onto one table. Like it's not, it wasn't even a good spot. Like it was just like a, it would have looked goofy. The risk reward is all fucked up on that. So I think when we see stuff like that, we're like, no, don't do it because even if it's okay, like we both felt queasy when Darby Allen got like power bombed oh, yeah, in the body bag. Yeah, Cause body we were just spot. like, we were like, dude, are you sure? Like, I don't want to watch you die, even if you're cool with it. Which it certainly seems to be. Uh, but yeah, this this match, I don't know, man. I I loved it. I now that we're talking about it again, I got to go back and watch it. Got to make sure I protect that episode. Totally. And yeah, it, it, man, it's Pride great. and Powerful were dressed like they're in the Warriors. Yeah, they're Baseball Furies face paint. That that. <laughs> Oh, sick. So perfect. The Warriors motif for Proud and Powerful, since they're from New York, is so perfect. And then they ride off with fucking Sue. Prince Mom. <laughs> with Sue, and she gives them the finger. Steve, what did you think of that? Oh, man. Listen, I called Sue up. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I was like, holy shit, man. You should have been drinking a beer when you did that. <laughs> drinking a big beer and pouring on your face. Although, I guess, you know, drinking driving laws and stuff, you <laughs> deal with that, the cons and everything, but, oh, man, I, I love it. I'd like to crack a beer with those boys sometime. <laughs> and what, a, like, what a two weeks of Dynamite. The second, we, we also watched Dynamite on September 23rd, 2020, and that Dynamite started out with Miro and Kip versus Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss, our first so Miro talk, in ring action. I want to talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, because... I don't know if you've uh, you've heard this, but they were talking about it on Wrestling Observer Radio, and I saw it on uh, a lot of the recap shows. But apparently, backstage they considered this match to be a disaster. A yeah. disaster, yeah. really? I mean, there was like a spot where something it did not didn't connect, but it looked like uh, Miro was supposed to catch Joey, and they had to kind of redo it yeah. almost. But that was the only spot that well, seemed like. But it didn't even seem. Just seemed kind of like. Uh, I don't know. Like not everything is perfect. Like when we talked about Matt Seidel, um Like not everything happens as according to plan. You kind of have to go with the flow with whatever happens because yeah. it's a sport and it's not necessarily like a ballet where everything is exactly it, perfect. No, I hadn't heard it wasn't that something though. that I had really noticed. But I was also kind of like I had someone over. Uh, Hannah was was visiting and she was just transfixed with Sunny Kiss and was just like, oh my god, like this is exactly what wrestling needs. I was like, it's here, like this, like there's some like amazing stuff, and you know we were just kind of in- enjoying it, so I wasn't really looking at it very critically. But I guess Miro maybe tweaked to uh, something like pretty early on in the match. Oh, was he actually and, hurt? Because uh, I did think he was yeah. like there was a point where he was selling an injury, and I was it seemed. <laughs> yeah, you and your notes it says Miro selling an injury. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought I I couldn't tell because it wasn't enough to seem like it was a part of the story because they weren't yeah. working. I think it was a leg. They weren't working his leg over. Yeah, and the commentary wasn't talking about it too much. They like mentioned it at one point where it seemed kind of like is he actually hurt? But I I loved seeing Miro in AEW and his first match and. 
I don't know. From my perspective, I enjoyed it because I love all four. Of I enjoyed those it performers. too. Um, yeah, I, and I love Joey and Sonny as a tag team, and uh, yeah, it's it, it was a, I thought a, a fine TV match, but you know I didn't watch it too closely. I love as soon as this match ends, Eddie Kingston with a live microphone just like runs to the ring, points at the camera, and he's like, "Leave the hard cam on, dude." Yeah, that that promo Chills. is so good. Chills. Same, dude. Eddie is uh, he's he's another one of these primo talkers in AEW like him, Cody, MJF. You're just like give these guys a mic. Yeah, he Eddie Kingston went very fast from like someone I was aware of that I've enjoyed and that I've seen wrestle live to one of my favorite wrestlers ever over the last like couple months. He he's certainly as a, as a character as a talker like I'm I'm very very compelled. Yeah, by him. and he's now had two excellent matches. Against two of the biggest people in AW being uh, Cody and John Moxley, so yeah, what a you know. what a run that just happened by chance because you know to Cody's credit, Cody like really did a lot in that match with Eddie Kingston, like they took that tack spot and you yeah. know gave a lot in terms of uh... we we talk about it all the time, but Cody always sells and gives a lot for and puts over all the talent that he's fighting. So he, he helped legitimize uh, Eddie, but I think John Moxley like did the rest of it in, in, in their match here. Oh, absolutely. Even I was a little bit like, okay, like Eddie's not like, he's not exactly built uh, or anything like that. So I'm like, he's obviously going to bring that scrappy energy, but Mox is already bringing that scrappy energy. So how is he going to, how is he going to overcome Mox? Who's in, who's in better shape and at the, at the prime of his career. Whereas Eddie's like, you know, uh, you know, maybe on the decline, like just physically, you know, how, how is he getting convincingly have this match against like one of the best wrestlers in the world? And it happened. And it was but really I, good. I, yeah. It was really, really good. But I was, that was compelling to me. Just like Eddie as a character where I'm like, how is he going to play this? Like he's, cause he's outmatched, but I know he's, he's going to bring something. Mox so, has had a killer run. Yeah. Man. Just. Man. Match after match, and you know we loved his match with Brody Lee. What did you think of Brody Lee's match with Orange Cassidy for the TNT belt? Uh, this was, I thought, pretty good. I didn't love it. Yeah, I, I, in my mind, I thought that you weren't the hugest fan of it. Yeah, I think you said it pretty good. Where you were like, the last five minutes were a banger, and like, if the whole match had been kind of paced like that, but. It started out very slow, and there was a commercial break at the start of it as well, which didn't help, but... Yeah, that, honestly, sometimes that really kills my enjoyment of a match. Um, the commercial break? Yeah. Like, I, it's no one's fault, obviously, but I love when you get that first 20-minute match on AEW and there's no commercial break. Yeah, it's not really AEW's fault, just how, how it is, but... Yeah. Yeah, it, I think as a squash, it made sense for Brody. But I just, and on paper, this match is like, holy shit, this should be main event on a pay-per-view. But I think in watching it, it wasn't the most interesting match we've seen. No, because Brody is slow, and Orange Cassidy is better when he is slow and builds to starting to go fast. Like, he's good against someone like Jericho, who's going to come at you, like, swinging, like... It's basically like a Looney Tunes cartoon, right? Like... Jericho is Wiley Coyote, and he's like ah, and then you know uh, Orange Cassidy is the cool um, Roadrunner who just kind of like moves out of the way at the last moment. That's the right. energy. So you have Roadrunner versus like a big 
tall like the big dog from <laughs> I have no good other Coyote? Wiley Coyote? No. Nope. No, Coyote is uh is Jericho. Oh, and Cassidy is the Roadrunner? Cassidy's Roadrunner. And then yeah, Who's so Bugs Bunny in all of this? You put me in a weird position where <laughs> I gotta I gotta pick a Bugs Bunny. Uh, eh. Watch up, Doc. Who brings that energy? I guess that's Orange Cassidy. Yeah, obviously. Like, couldn't you see Bugs wearing like the Canadian tuxedo? I mean, I could definitely see Bugs as Orange Cassidy, but I feel like Orange Cassidy isn't enough of like a smart wise ass. ass. Yeah. yeah. No. Yes, that's a great point. Okay. Uh, Maybe like John Moxley. <laughs> just like i'm just think, imagining john moxley in space jam right now i'm well i'm <laughs> sidekicks with michael jordan that's hilarious uh yeah so we're gonna use barbed wire against these I aliens young, i think a younger jericho oh absolutely i was kind of thinking like elmer fudd is suzuki and bugs bunny is john moxley <laughs> okay we don't have time to unpack that unfortunately um but yeah sort of moving forward we did talk about the main event of this mox versus kingston but to uh the next dynamite that we watch eddie kingston picks a challenger for john moxley uh tomorrow night's dynamite which i believe is i didn't hear that yeah september 30th is that tomorrow yeah so, uh, yeah, Mox, uh, Kingston's picking his challenger. Who do you hope it is? I have, I, you probably could guess who I hope it is, but. Pentagon Jr. No. But. That, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought that would be your, your pick. Oh, pop, pack? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, bro. Just keep naming. Uh, oh, um, uh. Who's very not likely K- to get Kenta? A, no. Well, that would be, well, Kenta's in the G1 right now, bro. Uh, The Butcher. Because he's the one person who's like not likely to get a single shot against Box, and he's huge and powerful. Whereas like Pentagon and Phoenix both will get their singles time. I don't think. All right, Mox, it's my turn to pick your challenger now. You know who I'm gonna pick? I'm gonna pick my boy to fucking butcher, because <laughs> he's not likely to get a shot, and I, I, it's me who's in charge. So that's who I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick the, because John would like it. <laughs> Keep the fucking hard cam on. You're working it out logically, and I think that that makes sense because it's he's someone. Yeah, no, I can hear it. Ha- I can hear it happening. And it would be a, a, Butcher versus Mox would be potentially. So a he's bang. gonna announce this on. He's gonna gonna announce this on yeah. Dynamite. Okay, this it's Tuesday right now, so I gotta edit this episode tonight. Get it out tonight so people can listen to it tomorrow morning, so we can officially predict. Yes. This. Okay. Absolutely. All right, let's speed through the rest of this episode <laughs> so we can. <laughs> okay, dude, we've been dying to talk about Holy shit. So yeah, we, we haven't really talked too much about it in the chat you. either. We we both have kind of provided some context updates. Well, you've been very busy. Yes. Like, you've been very busy. Like, you've been uh, not as, 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 as frequent on the chats, which I, I, I totally understand. Yeah. You have a lot of stuff going on. Barreling towards the deadline but, uh, for this. October 16th, the day after my birthday, all of this is due, so... Uh, well, it looks amazing, thanks, man. It looks amazing. But yeah, I, I, I've I've so, uh, I've squeezed in. I've I I haven't when I've been watching the G one. I've been trying to just watch the matches because the matches are so good, and we're getting an abridged G one this year where there isn't tag matches. And in the past, I've loved the that aspect, the tag match previews. 
But that being said, I love this digestible, like, especially just for how busy I am at the present moment. I love that I could just throw on a night. It's only two hours. We're not having to watch like 180 hours of wrestling in like a month. It used to be five. It used to be five hours, the G1 episodes. And they get posted in three blocks. So that's 15 hours worth of content. Yeah, there was no chance. I agree, man. Like there's been one of the best parts of my week has been waking up on a Sunday morning and putting on the whatever G1 episode I was at Saturday and Sunday mornings, just like making coffee, having breakfast and, and, and watching it. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, and I haven't skipped anything because like you said, it's all been singles matches and there's a block B block. And then I love how uh, Kevin Kelly on commentary along with Rocky Mera have been basically been putting over the uh, young lines as the C block yeah. and unofficially keeping, keeping points. Uh, for but it's basically just three people: Yotsuji, Yumura, and uh, Gabriel Kidd. Um, but they've all been having like really sick matches together. And ever since you talked to me about the Young Lions and being like, you know, they can't use, they're not allowed to use moves and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. That's why their matches are are different. It's like a lot of strikes, a lot of just like basic grapples. Oftentimes the finishers are Boston of... Crabs and or like a suplex. Yeah. But that that breaks it down to this very elemental wrestling. That's a really great palette, like a moose bouche for the for the evening. Uh, it definitely sets the table for sure. Yeah, you're you, it's a perfect intro match. It's I honestly think it's a better intro match than the tag matches for the G one. I absolutely agree. It's it's a great way to just sort of ease into some of these longer matches. Like it's a just kind of great five to. 10 minute yeah, it's never going to be super uh, long. and But I will say, uh, so we're going to go through a lot of the matches that we watched. I don't think we need to go through match for match with these young line matches because we're getting the same mix-ups. All of them always deliver, though. They're coming in with this intensity. It really feels like they've all agreed, like, we have this huge spotlight on us, so we're going to throw down hard. And it's been so cool to see. Like, the strikes they're throwing, they're doing maybe five to six different moves between all three of them like punching yeah. kicking boston crab suplex it took me a couple nights actually to realize that they weren't part of the like the actual show like, yeah the or the tournament yeah. yeah because gabriel kid has looked like such a star uh and both yoda and, and yuya have been doing great work so yeah uh, first match night one yoda suji versus yuya yumura we gave it three and a quarter stars together uh, second match of the night was Will Osprey versus Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, Osprey versus Takahashi. I think maybe one of the weaker matches of the of the tournament. I graded the. So I enjoyed Yuya Yumura versus Yota Suji more than the that Osprey versus Yujiro. Yujiro. I don't know. It's like Yujiro's trying his best to like differentiate himself with his like new look. He's, he seems like stronger more imposing but like not to jump too far ahead but for example his match with okada i just could care less i like i didn't i couldn't i could not care less about that match he does seem like at the absolute lowest standing of the g1 both blocks i can't think of other than yano who is the king of pro wrestling and has won both of his matches. So never mind. He is <laughs> far ahead of Yujiro. And he just says, uh, and but... Yano, regardless of like how you feel about his antics in the G1 right now, has the history to sort of like 
but I don't know, like, it's not like Yujiro has this outstanding history within New Japan where it's like, well, sure, Yano is not the best wrestler right now and his matches are, to you, annoying a little bit, it seems. But, uh, yeah, overall, I don't know, this match, it was great to see Will Ospreay back, but... It was amazing to see Will Ospreay back. It was amazing to see him kind of take in the, the atmosphere and everything. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good about my choice of him as a block winner. It's not a bad choice, dude. But and that being said, the next four matches on the card: Jeff Cobb versus Just, Tai Chi, dude. Lord Tai Chi is bringing it in the G One this year, dude. Jeff Cobb is bringing in the G One. Yeah. Even Kevin Kelly was like, Jeff Cobb seemed like he kind of I mean, was that Kevin Kelly or you? I love how that's <laughs> my frame of reference. Now. Someone said that he kind of felt like he was phoning in the G One last I year. I said that. And I felt, and a lot of, it was a, it was a common thing that I'd seen like written online and that I felt, cause I, I really, I can't think of when I, I think I first saw Jeff Cobb, uh, live at a ring of honor show. And I was like, who is this? This guy's awesome. Uh, he's an Olympic athlete. He's doing like doing stalling suplexes on the top rope with a dude that's like 200 pounds. But, uh, yeah, last, I was, I was really surprised to see him go over Taiji here because he took a lot of losses in the New Japan USA tournament. Yeah, and last year it just felt like he was there. Like, I showed up to do the job he asked me to do, and I'm here, and I'm not going to win. <laughs> like, I'm not John Moxley. Yeah. I'm not yeah. Okada. I'm your utility. I am below Ishii in all of this. And it didn't... It, and maybe, like, Kevin Kelly on commentary this in this week, this week and over the last couple of weeks, has talked about how it was nerves which I think is an interesting way of framing it, even if it wasn't that, and he truly was just kind of apathetic towards being there. But who knows? That could have been it. Like, that's why he's not giving an elective performance. He's like... He's nervous. Paralyzed with yeah. fear, yeah. But yeah, Lord Tai Chi ripping it up. I <laughs> I don't know, man. I Stop he, I calling like the... him Lord Tai Chi. I hate this. <laughs> just call him Tai Chi. Lord Tai Chi, bro. Dude, I feel like you're like fucking... Michael Cole right now, you're like, it's <laughs> it's boss time! Lord Tai Chi! Dude, Michael guy. Cole, that's such a... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. That's a pretty... That's, that's a... <laughs> no, I feel like you're on the line. Like, Would you call him, like, fucking King Corbin, too? I was gonna call... Actually, in my mind, I was like, you should have called him King Corbin. <laughs> oh, fuck. Alright, alright. Yeah, this was a sick, sick match. I, I really enjoyed this one a lot. We gave it three and a half stars. Uh, so... Three and a quarter for Yota Tsuji and Yuya. Three stars for Will Ospreay versus Yujiro Takahashi. Three and a half for Taichi versus Jeff Cobb. Next match, one of the best of the tournament, Minoru Suzuki versus Tomohiro Ishii. On paper, this is great. In practice, it is also great. Incredible match. It's to no one's surprise, like the hardest hitting, one of the hardest hitting matches of the tournament so far. Absolutely. Just... So many, so many sick moves, so many sick spots. Suzuki's tarantula, like that he does the ropes, the ropes tarantula, yeah. It somehow always it comes out of nowhere and always makes sense for some reason. I I don't understand it because that seems like a very like a move that would have to be set up, like very obviously like choreographed. Yeah, but it never does. It's just like out of nowhere, Suzuki's backwards <laughs> with someone's arm on the ropes. It's so sick. Man, I love just, like, Suzuki, who is obviously, like, explosive and just, like, crazy. To Ishii, who's just, like, basically, like, the immovable object. Yeah. Um, what a great clash. Fuck. And 
Dude, all Suzuki needs is like the smallest opening in any match, no matter who it's against. And he is immediately winning. And I was trying to think of if there's any other performers that that is true for. And the only people I could think of were Okada and I was Omega. About to say, I was about to say Okada. Yeah. And Kenny Omega as well. Yeah, that's not, uh, that's not a bad shot. I think all three of them, it's like they're beaten down, but then there's that one. Like with Okada and Omega, it's more adrenaline and just pure athleticism. Whereas Suzuki, it's just the intelli- like in-ring intelligence that he pulls out that is so incredible to watch. It's similar to how he, out of nowhere, is draping someone's arm over the rope and wrenching it like a triangle in midair somehow. Uh, yeah, I, I, this match was, is everything that I love about professional wrestling. Did you think Suzuki was going to win this? Because I did not. Yes. Because he, because he is the never champion and Ishii at this point either is going to keep being used like Jeff Cobb, sort of, where he's just like putting on cool matches but not really doing anything, or they're going to allow Ishii to ascend. Because Okada, I feel like, is a bit on the back burner right now. So it'd be cool if they allowed someone else from Chaos, like Ishii, to get a little bit more of a spotlight, maybe take that IC title off of Naito. Yeah, we'd we love could, to see that. We couldn't figure out who was going to be sort of the, the breakout from this tournament, and there's like... To New Japan's credit, there's like eight people that would be a really compelling story. Yeah, next match was Shingo versus Switchblade, Jay White. And Switchblade is someone else who people are pointing at as a possible dark horse of this tournament. He pulled one out against Shingo, which I was not expecting. I didn't expect Jay White to win here either. I thought for sure Shingo was going to win. I was surprised by that. And it made I, I loved the match. Uh, it's cool to see two sort of heels go up against each other and a way like, I don't know. It's like you have this clash of like previously with Ishii versus Suzuki, two men, men who are like army tanks. And here there we have two performers who are very calculated and careful with all of the things that they do in and out of the ring. It's really cool to see. And so great to see Switchblade back in New Japan. Absolutely loved this match, and then, <laughs> well, you you gave it a B minus B. So, I mean, loved it in it's like sort of the, <laughs> in the context of it. I still like you can still love like a match that you think is like I know I'm not just, the greatest match you've ever seen, right? No, I'm just rubbing you, man. Like I love Zelina Vega versus Asuka. I don't remember what I graded that though. No, it's all good, man. We gave we gave Suzuki and Ishii four and a quarter. Uh, Shingo versus Jay White three stars. Yeah, what do you think? Do you think Jay White's going to win? No. No? No, I don't think so. Period. Period. Um, no, I I think that's just because I don't want him to win. He To, to me, that's the least compelling story coming out of that. This, and they see, but they clearly had big plans for Jay White at the start of the year because he was the one that won the losers match on night two of Wrestle Kingdom against Ibushi. Right. And well, he's been booked very strong. Like he was IWGP champion. Uh, he main evented the first night of. No, he did not main event that. He was in the Intercontinental Championship match, right? He lost. Did he? He lost the Intercontinental belt to Naito. Naito. To Naito, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Okada retained, and then Naito won the next night. Like, hey, man, what a weekend! I, we got to go back and watch that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, no, I I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel like Jay White's here to me, but I'm often wrong. I agree. He was definitely off my sort of list of people who I think would definitely win. But I do like that they're 
New Japan's heels all could out of nowhere pull a surprise upset. You would hate it, but you would hate it for good reason. Well, most of the time, maybe not in Evil's case, but in Jay White's case and Lord Tai Chi's case, you would love it. Yeah, that's true. Main event of this night, Okada versus Ibushi, which was the main event of night one of Wrestle Kingdom, if I'm not mistaken, which just speaks to how great yeah, it was. The, G, yeah. the G1 is that you just, on the first night, this is your main event, Okada, Ibushi. Uh, for the most part, I think it really delivered. Um, you know, I'm not always the biggest fan of, of the first like 20 minutes of these matches because they build really slowly. Like, Okada Bushi, they don't have that electric energy that I love, like right from the top. But then by the end of it, you're always like very, very invested. You know, and it's something I felt that way too about their match at Wrestle Kingdom, actually. And then Thomas pointed out that it's it's a way of resetting the entire like arena and the feeling in the room to make you care and concentrate on the two of them. And I hadn't really ever considered that sort of psychology aspect of it. Where That's amazing. Neither had I. Yeah. The slow build is used in that way where if maybe something preceded it, because I think on that night, well, it would have probably been, I think it would have been Naito's match that preceded it, which that was an explosive match and everyone was extremely hyped that Naito had won. So how do you follow? You can't just go out of the gate, like onslaught of like moonsaults and rainmakers. The slow build kind of helps reset, which I, I think about probably that's, more than anything anyone has ever said to me about wrestling. That's actually that a great statement. point. But at this point, you're only resetting from like Shingo and Jay White, which was not a very exciting. Right. Match. It wasn't the like hottest match of the night for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, that being said, I really liked this match a lot. Oh, yeah, this was a sick match. We give it three and three-quarter stars overall, and it, it, it really, truly felt like a main event match. And it, Yeah, it really did. And Ibushi, I picked him as one of the people I thought could go the distance, and I do still feel that way. I think he hasn't really had his time in New Japan yet, and this I, feels like the right time. I did basically realize seeing him, I was like, wow, it's so stupid not to pick him as, like, the person who wins like he he's so he's such an obvious person to like who needs because he had his he had his uh ascendance at wrestle kingdom basically cut short like he wasn't even on night two of wrestle kingdom he was not even in the main event of 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 the of the weekend you know um not only did he lose but he wasn't really even in contention at the end of the day it was okada naito yeah, yeah, he wasn't even a thought on the second night, really. Yeah. He was just like, I remember when he won last year, you were so confused. You're like, how does this end up with Naito winning? And then it totally did. <laughs> <laughs> I was really devastated at the end of the last uh, G1, for sure, because I was not sure. I, I don't know, like with New Japan, it's hard to con- hard to figure out how someone gets from point A to point B, which is what makes it good. But thinking about what comes after the G1, there's not a lot of opportunities for someone to build like a story to get into like a main event seat, like match at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Can I, can I skip ahead to the, to the main event of night two and we sure. can go yeah. back. Um, okay. So as I'm watching this, uh, Tetsuya Naito versus Tanahashi, Naito is the, Oh my God. Is the champion. Yes. This is my, that was the main event of night two. This yeah. is my favorite match of the tournament so far, I think. Barring maybe 
one match on on night four but um this was incredible mine, mine as well yeah and as i was watching it i was like holy shit i think i just figured out what's going to happen in this tournament and then i was c- completely proven wrong immediately but here's what i thought i was like oh my god okay so tanahashi and naito you know naito even when i, I was explaining this because i was watching this with aaron and she obviously didn't have context for anything. So I was like, okay, so Naito's the champion right now, but he's never really kind of like had his moment like in the sun. Even when he was fighting Okada, that wasn't even the main event. <laughs> the, the fans voted the Intercontinental title match thing. And Tanahashi has always had the spotlight and stuff like that. So I was like, oh man, this would be a great story is if Tana beat Naito here. Naito d- doesn't have the big victory over Tanahashi. Then Tanahashi goes on to win the entire tournament challenges him at Wrestle Kingdom and then Naito fucking beats him and he's like I am king shit of fuck mountain um, but then Naito ended up winning this match and sort of deflating that idea for me but uh, still it still told that story of like Naito finally getting this huge win I know he's probably beaten Tanahashi before but like to me as a viewer like watching him this felt like he was cementing himself as like a legend dude you have no idea how much it warms my heart to hear you so deep and invested in a new Japan story that you have thought of. And like, yeah, dude, it's cool to hear you so into it. Like, I feel I mean, like I you're you about to like hand me like fan. a sword or something. Yeah. It, it feels, <laughs> it's cool to hear it. But that's the thing. Like once you get to that point with new Japan viewing, nothing compares to it. Cause you can work out those logic sort of lines where it's like, Holy shit. If this happens, then this could happen and that would be insane. And they're all things that could happen if that's the story that Gato's telling us. And, and I, we don't know. We, and that's I, what I makes was it so good. thinking of this so much during this match. And this match was just like technically brilliant. Like from start to finish, like it was such a pleasure to watch. But also yeah. I was thinking about all these possibilities and I was thinking about if Tanahashi beats Naito, like Naito would be like, so it would be such an embarrassing moment for Naito but then him getting to stand tall at Wrestle Kingdom. But honestly, it could still happen. Like, Tanahashi could still... I mean, it's unlikely, but Tanahashi could could win the tournament, challenge Naito, and Naito could beat him again and just be like, I am, like... I'm the big dog here now. Like, <laughs> you go home, Tanahashi. This Tanahashi, is my yard. Yeah, and Tanahashi has to, like, back up, like, in Mad Max, just, like, fade into the crowd. And then they release some Naito-Roman Reigns crossover <laughs> Well, we've all been waiting for it. Um, Do you? So uh, I don't think we need to go through this entire night too because it wasn't one of my favorites. Do no. you have one other match that was your favorite from this night? Because I do, uh, uh, for yeah, sure. Honestly, not even a, not uh, probably not even one of the main G one matches. Uh, no, actually, no. I take that back. Evil versus Zack Saber Junior. Nice. Yeah, I actually was going to say that as well, and. The reason I liked that match a lot was because Zack made Evil wrestle him. Yes. He had to, because it's Zack Sabre Jr., yeah. so he had to wrestle him. And he got a really good match out of Evil, and there was interference, but it didn't cost Zack Sabre Jr. the match, and Zack Sabre Jr. was able to, like, out-Evil Evil, basically. Dude, oh my god, my yeah, I was devastated when Dick Togo got involved towards the end of the match. I know. And ZSJ had the visible win over Evil there for a second, like where you thought he, and then Evil, I think low blowed ZSJ and then was setting up for the everything is evil 
and ZSJ counters with a European clutch and wins. It was perfect. I loved that match yeah, so much. That was that was fucking sick. Really, really good. Uh, and yeah, I agree. And not to jump back to, uh, or not to uh, go back to Naito versus Tanahashi, but your logic line of Tanahashi, Naito beating Tanahashi, and sort of that the longest term Naito story that could probably be told at this point. Well, uh, I was trying to think like is who, a cool idea. Who is the most compelling person to fight Naito? And I don't think it's Okada because that happened last year. Even though we've Okada, seen it, yeah, we've seen it. Um, it could be Ibushi, but to me, that's not that interesting because I want Ibushi to win, but I also want Naito to win. Yeah, so no... in my mind, from a long-term storytelling perspective, Kota Ibushi did defeat Naito at the G1 Supercard for the Intercontinental Belt. So, in terms of making Ibushi look so strong. To have him go on to Wrestle Kingdom to defeat Naito for the heavyweight belt now, it's like Naito can't can't win I just, against him. I don't like people winning the G1 two years in a row. That's my only objection. I don't like that either. That's why I was hesitant to pick Ibushi, because I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't pick Ibushi. I, I kind of wish I'd picked Tanahashi, although Naito beating him kind of ruined my sort of arc for that. Um, I'm still feeling good about about Will Ospreay. Okay, our, our last episode didn't air, and that's where we kind of talked about this, but my ch- my choices were A-Block, Osprey, B-Block, Sonata. Um, I'm not feeling great about that because I'm pretty sure Sonata lost both of his matches. Yeah, there was that Yano match that he lost, and then I can't remember the other match he had off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he lost it. Oh, yeah, Goto. Did Goto beat? Yeah, Goto won. Dude, Moving forward, G1 Climax, A-Block, Night 3, September 23rd, 2020, I think is my favorite. While Tanahashi, Naito, for sure, by far, my favorite match. This night, though, Shingo versus Jeff Cobb. What a clash of titans. Yeah, this was our our highest, like, overall graded night. Night 2, we gave Yorosuji versus Gabriel Kidd three and three quarters. That was really good. Juice versus Yoshihashi, three stars. Sonata versus Yano, one and a half stars. Generous. Goto versus Kenta, three and a half. Evil versus Zack Sabre Jr., three and a half. Naito versus Tanahashi, four and a half. Goes into the air archive. Um, night three, Yuya Uemura versus Gabriel Kidd, three and a half. Shingo versus Jeff Cobb, four stars. Dude, the and. I don't know. I got, I really PWG is something that I would love to watch more of. It's so hard to um, to watch at least live, which takes it away takes away for me at least as a viewer. Uh, it's easy to go back and watch old PWG. I would love to see Takagi versus Jeff Cobb at PWG Bola. Um, oh, true. Sure that match was sick. But they Kevin Kelly yeah. mentioned on commentary that they had a match there. Uh, I, excellent chemistry. I can't believe Jeff Cobb won this match. I yes, that blew me away. Uh, sorry, I had said that Jeff Cobb won against Taichi, but he didn't. He won against Takagi. That was my big surprise. Oh, yeah. Taichi won that match. But, um, yeah, I honestly, Takagi, two losses in a row. Like, he was kind of our dark horse. He was one, someone that I was thinking might win. Yeah. 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 But, like, yeah, they're both they're both hosses, but they both have incredible agility that they can bring out, out of nowhere. Uh, Cobb and Takagi. So. Maybe he'll have like an Osprey G1 Shingo because it's his first. No, it's not his first G1. 
but it's a G1 coming off of his never reign, so maybe it's like we got to give him some time. Like a cooldown? Yeah, before he we unleash him next uh, in the new beginning next year. I can see that happening. Just because Takagi should be the IWGP champion eventually doesn't mean you have to like do it right now. rock it yeah. to him right now. Um, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this was this was one of the one of the best matches of the tournament for sure. I highly, highly recommend Takagi versus Jeff Cobb. Uh, after this, Okada versus Takahashi. You like, do not need to watch this match. Yeah. Thank thank God Okada wins. Uh, who cares? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> just not that I don't care about Okada. It's just like I the whole Bullet Club evil bullshit that happened between uh, Summer Struggle and post. New Japan Cup, and now it's it's a low point for in-ring quality for New Japan, for sure. And I don't care about it. And Yujiro has that. Yujiro, if he wasn't a part of that, I think maybe it would be more compelling. But because he was a part of all of that, it's like, who cares? Like, I don't know. Sorry. I just don't care. Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, Yujiro. That being said, the next match. Two and a half stars for Okada Tak- uh, Takahashi. Four stars for Suzuki versus Lord Taichi. Yeah. Suzuki Goon explodes. Hey, Steve, what do you think of Taichi's uh, whole gimmick? Man. Would you work with him? Man, listen, I came out in a vest in my goddamn shorty shorts with a beer. This guy's got a mask. He's got a staff. (laughs) He's he's singing. He's lip singing. He's got a, I don't know. He's got a babe. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I can't remember, but I don't know. Pick one. He only gets one? Well, I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> seems kind of, ra- I don't know, it seems kind of random to me. <laughs> it's very random. Dude, this match went hard. This match went hard. I honestly, like, Tai Chi is someone that it's taken me a little bit to kind of get sold on him. Uh, but Same, to be honest. At first, I was like, this, is, this person is ridiculous and crazy but over time when you, i have grown to really like him a lot genuinely he, he's a very good heel and when you see him with it's it's like we said about um people bringing out the best like e- evil forced or sorry zack saber jr forced evil to have a wrestling match suzuki forced taichi to have like a fucking slobber knocker basically yeah just inside and out of the ring just dragging each other around really feel it really like both matches uh Faction versus Faction Warfare, Suzuki versus Taichi, and Ishii versus Osprey. Uh, the both of those matches felt like the people in the match really wanted to hurt the other person and win. Totally, yeah. They and were, spe- especially no, this match. There was no uh, punches pulled whatsoever in this match between these two. And there was a chair battle. It was. I, I'm just going to tell you that I'm so glad that I am not predicting these match by matches like Thomas was, because I think I would have gotten every single one of these wrong. Like, I would have guessed that Suzuki would have would have won this. So does this mean that Taichi gets a shot at the Never Open weight? It does, yeah. That's fucking sick. That's going to be another another good rematch. Yeah. Yes. That 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 would be really, really good. And really, they're, they're uh, one of my favorite uh, lesser-known wrestling promotions from the 90s is a promotion called Wing, which was like a horror wrestling promotion in Japan that did death matches. I've talked, we, we, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on here. We should do around Halloween. We'll have to maybe watch uh, one of their scramble matches. But uh, the energy that those matches had in the nineties, 
they would go out into the crowd and like swing chairs around around people and people would feel it would feel like the people were actually terrified of all of the performers in wing that this match had the wing energy where it's like <laughs> if they could have gone out in the crowd the people would have been terrified truly and yeah there's no there it was just a reckless onslaught of like chair shots hard strikes submissions and then ultimately suzuki goes for the gotch Taichi reverses, hits a black Mephisto, kind of out of nowhere, and then gets a three count. It was... I was shocked. Excellent. I was tr- yeah. truly shocked. And, yeah, it was super compelling the whole way through. Um, th- like you said, night three was probably the best, quality-wise. Yeah, you, and then we get the next match, Ishii versus Will Ospreay. Four, another four and a quarter from us. This I gave this match an A. This was, along with Tanahashi... Naito, my my favorite match. This is like m- my dream matchup. I could see that. I would have thought that actually. And, yeah. and it only has become possible this year because last year Osprey wasn't quite enough Osprey. Like, <laughs> he, yeah, he was he was he was more of a super junior. Now he's strong enough to like really withstand those strikes from Ishii, but he's still like fast, and he's fast and strong enough, and doing the weights work where he can be a like hit those like moves so hard on Ishii where he can, you know, take this guy down who is. Yeah. Pre- it's a good, it's a really, really good point actually. Cause previously he was much more of a junior heavyweight where he'd be evading. Yes. Ishii. Exactly. He'd basically be facing Ishii the way Hiromu would face Ishii where exactly. a lot of, a lot of evasions, top rope sort of handspring moves. Yes. Where that are catching Ishii off guard and sort of, he can go toe to toe with down. Ishii now and like exchange chops and like yeah. strike. Ishii. There's quite a few big spots in this match. One of my favorites was when they were on the outside and Osprey throws down an Os Cutter off of the guardrail Dude. and out of the ground. Dude. I fucking love Osprey. Like, I just please win this tournament. Like, good God. Like he's his reversals are so crazy. Like you think it's going one way. And then out of nowhere, yeah, it, it's, it's completely insane he's it, able to do that. Honestly, like, it, my ideal Wrestle Kingdom right now does not feature Naito, I'm sad to say. Because, like, I, oh. I, I, st- I still want... How dare you? I still, <laughs> I still want... I, every time when I was watching with Aaron, I was like, yeah, that's Naito. He's the champion. He has John's hair. That's, <laughs> that's, how, we, that's how I explain that. But... Um, I want it to be Osprey Okada. To me, that's the biggest match possible. The two. I would be happy to see that match, but yeah, I got it. I want Naito in the main event, and I want him to win again. You know what? I'm very happy with that. I can wait one more year. For but there needs to be an Okada Osprey because they were talking about Osprey is the best in the world, and everyone knows Okada is the best in the world. So if they're gonna start having that conversation again, they have to fight. But at, at the same time, I don't know. We'll see what... The, o- Okada is such a wild card at this point because right now he feels a little bit like he's uh, percolating on the back, back burner, yep. waiting to be unleashed again, yep. but also letting people be featured. So it's not sure. It's, it's, you pointed it out, and I've never been able to forget it. He's just down to a basic move set right now. Yeah, the winning with the money clip. Oh, my God. Cobra Clutch. I can't even tell you how much I would love to see Okada walk in with like a Naito-esque kind of like white suit with like a money clip. Dude, that would be sick. Like a like a true WWF superstars 
Okada like looking like Ric Flair. Or have him go off the rails and wear like a Joker style full suit instead of question <laughs> or Riddler instead of and have him wear like uh, instead of question marks it's uh, money signs and he's dressed like the Jim Carrey Riddler with the. Uh, I just want to want to point out that I don't endorse this <laughs> this this part, but uh, it's money, man. The main event of night three was Ibushi versus Jay White, and this was a fucking banger, man. Ibushi forces Jay White to wrestle him, much <laughs> in the same way that Zach. As, and in this, see, but but not in the. I meant that sort of in a negative way with evil. Evil is so annoying. Jay White comes out, cuts a promo, and like doesn't really want to wrestle. He's like walking around the ring, doing his classic sort of heel stuff. Yeah. And Ibushi ultimately forces him to throw down and have an incredible wrestling match with him. And I love that clash there where the comparison earlier between Switchblade and MJF is perfect because MJF does that too. It's sort of classic heel tactics, Ric Flair style, where it's like Kevin Kelly always refers to it as letting the air out of the ball, where it's they're yes. just kind of sauntering around the ring, not pretending not to be interested in fighting until... It's the face them. makes the wrong move yeah. and then yeah. they get the upper hand. But ultimately, Ibushi really, I thought, was going to win this. He throws down a lot of big power moves, but. This is the biggest. If, if you were going to say Jay White was going to win the G1, this would be your biggest um, ammo for it. Him beating, this was a big upset, a, in my opinion. Yeah. Huge. Much bigger than Shingo. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Uh, I, I Yeah, I thought this was a great match. And. I don't always like Jay White matches, to be honest. So I felt like this was. They're the... not always my favorite either, but I thought this match was good. I actually, yeah, yeah like honestly, Ibushi and, and Jay White, I like that matchup more than I like Ibushi Okada necessarily, just for like a G1 match. Like, I don't know, get things done a little bit quicker, perhaps. Uh... <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, this uh, another four and a half, uh, four and a quarter stars from us. Uh, this was a huge night. Night four, probably the weakest night out of all of them, I would say. I'd agree with that. Yeah, it starts out with Goto versus Sonata. And the match was fine. It was a good match. Uh, I enjoyed this. that's the most interesting. I, I enjoy, like, the clash between them where Goto very much represents, like, the traditional uh, mm-hmm. And you know the way that he dresses and sort of the way that he's fighting, whereas Sonata looks like this like a kind of cyberpunk. I don't know his whole aesthetic is is more is more futuristic. He's got this like scary mask on and shit. Um, so absolutely, it very much felt like a clash between the old and the new. What did you think of Yano versus Tanahashi? I had to like I was watching this with with Aaron and I had to sort of justify this, and that always makes me look at things differently. <laughs> when I'm explaining it to somebody, I'm like, he's, but, uh, by that point she'd see, what did, she wait, saw what did Aaron en- think of Yano? She saw enough of Yano that she was like, uh Oh, he's going to bring out the tape again. Isn't he? Like she <laughs> knew that, that it was going to happen. We, we, yeah. And we laughed at it. Like it, we, I thought this was funny. Like it was, it was entertaining. It was entertaining, but it really pissed me off the time how she lost. Uh, I just like, I don't know. I, I, I was like, how does John say that Yano is not a joke? He's clearly a fucking joke. Like, don't tell me this is, he's not a joke wrestler. He's hilarious. I'm not saying he's not hilarious. A, a joke is funny. I'm saying he's a joke. But he's, saying he's a joke. <laughs> he's a joke, John. He comes up and goes, 
and then ties people up and refuses to have matches. Dude, that taunt gets me as hyped up as like I don't know the HBK flexing his muscles. Not not even not even ironic right now when the announcer announces that he's uh, Taish. Uh, I love it so much. All right, well, Kenta versus Juice Robinson was next. <laughs> This is going to plow ahead. Super, super sick. Dude, uh, rematch. Uh, you listened to English commentary on this one? I did. Cool. So then you heard, like, Kevin Kelly. Good, so you don't mind me tripping you then on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, if you hadn't, I was going to say it. Kevin Kelly added a lot of context to this match and their history with NXT and how, uh, I, I believe, the last match... Last match, one of them fought in NXT was against the other. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Kenta won a match against Juice, and Juice decided that NXT was not for him. And then Juice that, went And he to... wanted to be a young lion. Yeah, then he went to be a young lion, even though he was, like, I think at that point probably older than the age range that people are a young lion at. Right. Uh, yeah, that actually, that was did uh, tell a very compelling tale of, like, Juice decided to, to start from the bottom, and then when Kenta came back, he sort of started from the top, more or less. He's yeah, he's brought in by Shibata, like really positioned to be a main event, and then betrays Shibata. Yeah, and becomes the most like one of the most hated men in in New Japan. I absolutely love that Juice won this match. I did not think he was going to win, dude. Again, I'm telling you, I would have gotten every one of these matches wrong. Like Yano against Tanahashi, like would not have called that. Like would have not have called Juice over Kenta. I love what Rocky pointed out about Kenta. We we've been talking a lot about. Um, at least on this podcast, a lot about the different members of Bullet Club and who's leading it yes. and the de facto leader. One thing that Rocky pointed out in commentary that I thought was really interesting is that Kenta does not play the game that the rest of Bullet Club does. Which is? Like the in- interference. Kenta doesn't have a Jado or a Gato or a Dick Togo. He, go- he shows up and he, I mean, he didn't win this match, but... He shows up and wins matches and Very doesn't true. play sort of that same game. And I'm wonder I'm wondering personally, one of the stories I'm interested in, most interested in, in all of this is who is going to be the leader of Bullet Club because Evil didn't have what it took, did not really have what it took to keep the IWGP belts. And secondarily, you know, Jay White is kind of the de facto leader, but then where does that place Kenta? I wonder what will happen with all of that. I, um, I'm that's actually one of the storylines I'm most interested in seeing how it plays out, actually. And that being said, I hate Evil and Dick Togo, and this meant the ending of this match sucked. I was really pulling for Yoshihashi, and I don't know. Yeah, the second Dick Togo starts getting involved, he's like strangling Yoshihashi. There was basically two moments in this. Like I said, I was watching it with Aaron, and I just started shaking my head at two points. One of them was when Yano tied up Tanahashi. And the second one was when Dick Togo was garroting uh, fucking Yoshihashi. Yeah, like, fuck that. And I don't know. I, I, New Japan, since I started watching it, I've never felt that way about New Japan before, where I'm like, I'm going to skip through this. Watch everything, all the way down to the intro tags with Tiger Mask and Yuji Nagata and the Young Lions. But this evil era, I absolutely do not like. I don't, there's not anything I like about it. Well, it's, him and Dick Togo together. Honestly, like I I thought about it when it was uh, Jay White versus um, Kota Ibushi. I was like Jay White. I don't like him. Like he's a heel, and I don't like him. But he can fucking go. 
and like even when there is interference, he usually yeah, just wins I don't care. by himself. Same. Like he can pull out a fucking Blade Runner and just take it at any point. They've not built up evil like that whatsoever. He's never looked d- dominant enough that like if Togo did not interfere, he wouldn't have won. And at the end of the day, that can only build you so big. And it usually, and with Gato's interference, I would say maybe 75% of the time it blows up in his face and he takes a hit yeah. or a punch from someone. Yeah. It, it almost never works. And w- even when it does work, if you hit someone with like a kendo stick or something, he's almost always at the brunt end of the altercation. The point is, I can't Jay think White of a time where his interference. Clean. Like he yes, can win. He, true. he can. Like he doesn't always choose to. That's what's better. It's like, I could beat you clean, but you know what? The ref's out. Gato, come in here. Hit him a little <laughs> bit. Then I'm going to hit you with the blade around like two more times. Like That's a good point, yeah. Then he's like flexing in the corner. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it, he has to look like he can win or he's not scary. He's just like a cheater. Excellent point. Dude, main event of this was one of my other personal favorites. Naito versus ZSJ. Yeah, two man. of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Dude, another four and a quarter, like... We're break we're breaking the fucking scale here on these on this G one. <laughs> Dude, ZSJ right out of the gate stepping on the titles, like uh, he's so good. He is again I, he's another great heel. He the reason he doesn't get into the pantheon that we were talking about is because he is above it all. He doesn't care to really inspire that much shit in people. He just kinda walks out. He has that look of like just like a like an English like footballer or something like that who's just like yeah, I'm attractive. I'm better than you. I know it. That that MJF sort of energy. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and yeah, I just like he's so detestable. And then he gets in the ring and just works so hard and is such a technically proficient wrestler that you're just like you can't help but just be like, "Fuck, you're awesome." You know what I mean? And that's what makes him such a great heel. He backs it up. Like he just. He, he's a dick, but you're like, fuck, you're like one of the best in the world. And he's like, spits on you. And you're like, ah, yeah, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's, he's so good. He's like, it's... he's the kind of person you want in the G1 because you're like, oh, I get to see Zack Sabre Jr. fight like all these people. Yeah. I want to see him fight everyone. Yeah. And it's, I might've said this earlier, but I bears repeating that it is so good to see Naito facing people that are on his level again. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Like hearing Desti, hearing his music hit, and knowing you're knowing what you're in for, man. Like a Naito main event, it's my favorite thing in wrestling. I think. Yeah. Like, it's... I'm I'm starting to really get there. Like I'm starting to really get Naito. Like because I didn't have the benefit of seeing a lot of the older stuff that you had seen, so I'm coming to it pretty fresh of him. Like you know, winning at yeah, over the last like year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't always exactly apparent. Like I loved his match with Jericho and stuff, but I, mm-hmm. just, I didn't really get him as a wrestler. And now I, I definitely do. He's just sort of the rebel who doesn't really play the game who got there sort of on his own. Um, and similarly, we'll pull out moves out of nowhere like Suzuki, where it's like, Oh, now Naito has the upper hand somehow. This this is great. And yeah. that, that happens a lot in this match. Oh, where it goes for the fucking Zack driver and a fucking Destino. <laughs> I love that Kevin Kelly is at his house in Pennsylvania screaming that. Yeah. I uh, can't believe that Zack actually kicked out of the Destino though. I wasn't expecting that. He had to pull yeah. out two of them to win. Yeah. It, it, 
it happens quite a bit when uh, Naito is facing an equal, like Okada, Ibushi, where if he doesn't wrench it in completely, where he does like the arm wind up, he'll do kind of like a modified Destino, kind of similar to how Okada does the Rainmaker, but not the full on right. like wrist control Rainmaker. I, yes. Like he'll hit yeah. similar sort of thing where the Destino can can come at a reversal, which that 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 point that did happen, and then. Ultimately, Naito wins this and cuts a great promo at the end. And yeah, it, it, I'm so excited. I I haven't watched uh, Night Five yet, but really looking forward to it. Uh yeah, I haven't watched it either. But uh, we'll be back next time with uh, the Dynamite uh, with uh, several more G1 episodes. Before... Nights five through eight of the G1. Yeah. Two weeks of Dynamite. Yeah. Before we go back in time to go back to my classic match review uh, that you recommended to me of uh, Keiji Muto versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in the G1, which thankfully is still relevant because we are talking about the G1. Yeah, it's nice that it's nestled into this G1 heavy yeah, episode. totally. I thought maybe, because I, I think like once we go there, we'll just, we'll end there. Yeah. So I thought maybe I could uh, give you your classic match recommendation right now. Let's hear it. I can't wait. Um, so this was because of watching the Kurt Angle Broken Skull Sessions, uh, but basically, uh, it is Kurt Angle's favorite match ever. Of his own? Of his own, yes. It is Kurt Angle versus HBK Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 21. Wow, I didn't even know that happened, and I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, thank you so much for being with us here again. We're now going to go back in time to last week and hear the uh, my classic match review. John, your classic match recommendation for me this week was not something that I expected to be that good. I thought it was interesting that Steve Austin was in the G1, but I didn't necessarily expect him to have like notable matches especially since i'd never heard of it before i figured it would just be kind of a solid maybe throwaway g1 match but it was not so it was actually fucking awesome so this is steve austin versus keiji muto and jpw g1 climax round two august 10th 1992 an almost unrecognizable Steve Austin, sporting a somewhat hilarious blonde head of hair, struts to the ring, accompanied by a generic American entrance music that could be Ken's stage theme in Street Fighter 2. He is soon followed by the clear babyface, Keiji Muto, who flips into the ring to a sterling ovation from the Japanese crowd and a downpour of colored streamers. Austin and Muto shake hands as a show of respect, and the match is underway. The men test each other's limits with a series of grapples and takedowns, with Austin locking in a scissor lock early on, and a lengthy headlock that would make Randy Orton proud. It's truly interesting to see a more mat-based Austin work rate, something he had to adapt after his broken neck several years later at the hands of an Owen Hart piledriver gone wrong. But soon Austin is hit with a picture-perfect dropkick from Muto, who begins to take control. A roundhouse plants Austin, and Muto hits a dropping elbow that pops the crowd once again. Muto traps Austin in a leg lock, which he modifies into a bridge choke that has young Steve tied up like a pretzel. Austin manages to grab the ropes, but soon his leg is being worked over again by Keiji, who is surgically working over his gaijin opponent. But Austin is up, and a big boot sends Muto staggering against the ropes. 
Austin Irish whips him to an attempted lariat, but Muno manages to roll out, hit the ropes once again, and dive into Austin with a crossbody. However, Austin catches him and finds the strength to drop Cagey's neck straight onto the top rope in a killer sequence. A suplex from Steve leads to a two count, and Austin has Muto in a chokehold once again, certainly both to slow down his opponent and to catch a much-needed breath. It proves to be a mistake, however, as Muto stands up and breaks free, hitting Austin with a punch-roundhouse-kick combo that leaves Steve gasping for air. Muto whips Austin to the ropes and goes for another Okada-esque dropkick, but Austin holds on, leaving Muto kicking air and falling straight onto his back. Austin traps Keiji in a modified camel clutch, digging his knee into Keiji's back, but Keiji manages to grab the ropes. Austin picks him up, whips him into the corner, and goes for a truly beautiful somersault into a spear, but as fast as Austin is, Mudo is even quicker, leaving Austin to slam into the corner. Mudo answers with his own handspring elbow into a prone Austin in the corner, power slams him, and climbs the ropes for a moonsault. Austin rolls away, but Mudo is again one step ahead of him, landing gracefully on his feet, to an excited gasp from the crowd. He surprises Steve with a dropkick that sends him out of the ring, and then launches himself over the ropes onto Austin outside the ring. Mudo whips Austin into the barricade, and goes for another handspring elbow, but Steve moves out of the way. Austin hits Keiji with a suplex on the outside, before rolling back in the ring. Austin hits a quick taunt to fill his spirit meter, before rolling out of the ring again, and dropping Mudo onto the barricade on his neck. He brings Mudo onto the apron, and suplexes him into the ring. Austin then traps Keiji in a Boston Crab, and a weakened Mudo grabs the ropes, and rolls out of the ring. Steve hits a few more moves, with KG looking weaker than before, and traps Mudo in a torture rack, just like the podcast. <laughs> but the crowd starts rallying for KG, who flips out of it and counters into an unsuccessful bridge combination. Steve goes for a powerbomb, but Mudo reverses and hits a sick bulldog. He then misses a big elbow off the top turnbuckle to a, co- to a two count from Steve that leaves the audience gasping. Steve hits a power slam and climbs onto the top rope, going for a frog splash, but Keiji moves and attempts to climb the top ropes. But he falls over the ropes, exhausted, and collapses outside the ring. Mudo then reverses a Steve Austin piledriver attempt, hits a backbreaker, leaps to the top ropes for a successful moonsault, and locks in the three count. Dude, what a fucking awesome match. Yeah, this I think is the first classic match that I have recommended to you that... I hadn't watched and I did watch it as well. And I thought the same thing that you did because I scrolled through it to make sure that it was substantial enough that it wasn't going to just be like a random like Tenzan versus Nagata on WCW TV where it's like eight minutes. Four minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they hit each other back and forth, do some suplexes, wrench submission. It's over. Yes. And it's it's a great match in terms of like crowd engagement because it's an older New Japan match. It's very readily available online if you search Steve Austin versus Great Muda or Kaiji Muto. No, yeah, search Kaiji Muto because he did fight the Great Muda again for I want right. To this was we should clarify that again. Yeah, this is not Steve Austin versus Great Muda. It's Steve Austin versus Kaiji Muto. Although I now I'm definitely gonna go watch that. Uh, Gotta watch Great the other one though. Muda match, and I'll let you know. This has been another episode of the Torture Act podcast. You can follow my co-host John F Malta at John F Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Basque, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us, Torture Rack, at Torture Rack on Instagram, on YouTube, on Patreon, and join the Torture Rack Woof.